0: Today's scripture reading is from Mark uh, 3, verses 1 through 6. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good, or to do harm, to save life, or to kill. But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. This is God's word.
1: Let me pray before we uh, begin. Father, we thank you for uh, your goodness. Thank you for the joy and privilege of worshiping together uh, to worship you. We pray that uh, as we begin this time, there will be not for our renown, but for your glory and for your renown. We pray that your word will come to the forefront. And that I'll recede into the background, that your your word and your spirit will do the work of convicting and changing our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For those um, uh, who may be new, we have been going through the book of Mark for the last several weeks. In the first verse of Mark 1, Mark chapter 1 says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So the book of Mark is all about presenting the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. So when we look at today's passage that Stephen just read for us, that's the perspective that we want to have as well. That is, what is the author, Mark, trying to tell us about Jesus and what is the good news about it? When you think about who Jesus is, what his character is what comes to your mind if you are like me what comes to the top of your mind is his compassion his, his sacrificial love how he came to came to the earth to die for the sinners in fact you probably have heard some people say something like this i like jesus in the new testament because he is kind, loving, compassionate. But I don't like the God of the Old Testament because he seems to be angry. But our New Testament God is the same God as the Old Testament God. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God characterized by his steadfast love throughout the ages. And as you will see in today's passage, Jesus in the New Testament was not just gentle and compassionate. It may be surprising to you that in today's passage, he also got angry. The author Mark wants us to know that Jesus got angry in some situations. But when we observe Jesus' anger, it shows us that he is in some ways, just like us, perfectly human. But as well as we also see in this text, in many ways he's so unlike us, as he is divine and perfectly sinless. He does get angry, yet without sin, and his anger is very real, and yet very different from your from how it is for us or for you. So can we follow this Jesus? Who gets angry and could it be that his anger is actually good for us so we look into this question as we go through today's passage in mark today's story is a part of five stories that mark tells us about the confrontations between jesus and the religious leaders the scribes and the pharisees So, in a bit of review for the last, what we've been covering the last several weeks, in the beginning of chapter two, Mark chapter two, Jesus healed the paralytic who was brought to Jesus by his four friends through the roof. And the Pharisees accused Jesus of blasphemy and complained, Who can forgive sins but God alone? And the next story, if you remember, was about Jesus calling a tax collector, Levi and then going to his house for a dinner party with other sinners and tax collectors. The Pharisees accused Jesus of sinning by associating with sinners and tax collectors. Especially the tax collectors were hated by the Jews. Then they accused Jesus' disciples of not following the tradition of fasting. And then last week, Pastor Rob preached a sermon about the Sabbath. And in that passage, the Pharisees were accusing Jesus of letting his disciples do what was unlawful, that is, picking grain on the Sabbath. Jesus corrected them that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, and that the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. So you see that the conflicts continue and keep escalating, and the Pharisees are getting more and more unhappy with Jesus, and the conflicts are about to reach a boiling point. So we come to today's passage, Mark chapter 3, and today's text is another confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees, and Jesus gets angry. So let's try to understand why and how Jesus gets angry, and what does it mean for us. And as we dig into this passage, we'll look at the story in four scenes. Scene one, withered hand. Scene two, watchful eyes. Scene three, wrath of Jesus. And scene four, wicked plan. Then we'll conclude with uh, what is our response. So scene one, withered hand. Reading verse one again, it says, Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. In a parallel passage in Luke chapter 6, it tells us on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. So Luke gives us a bit more detail that Jesus was teaching in the synagogue and it was his right hand that was withered. Just like last week's message, today's incident also happens on a Sabbath day, probably in the city of Capernaum. And as all of the God-fearing Jews would do, Jesus and his disciples went to the synagogue to worship. And whenever Jesus went to the synagogue, he was there to teach. And while he was teaching, Jesus sees the man with a withered hand. The Greek verb of the withered indicates that the man was not born with this condition, but there was a likely but that it was likely a result of an injury or illness. And other historical documents seem to indicate that he was a stonemason. And so probably we can imagine that while he was cutting stone, he injured his right hand. And now that his right hand was withered, he was disabled and could no longer work. And Jesus notices this man with a withered hand And perhaps he was a regular worshiper, desperately praying to God that God would heal him. Or he may have been there to beg, seeking compassion of other worshipers. But But here, while Jesus was teaching, he sees the man and has compassion. Throughout the Bible, Jesus seems to show up where there are hurting people and he approaches and calls on them there's no indication of the man calling out to jesus for help jesus is the one who notices and approaches he's the compassionate one who is drawn to the hurting don't we experience this ourselves when you are going through struggles when you are sick or your family members are sick Isn't it often that we experience God's compassion even more generously? Now that may be through God's people coming around you, through people calling you or bringing food, or to people just sitting down with you to comfort you, reminding us of God's goodness. So if you are going through struggles, turn to Jesus as he invites you Come to me who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is the compassionate to the hurting. So let's move to scene two. Watchful eyes. Verse two and three. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. So here they are again, the Pharisees. And of course the Pharisees would be there in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. They were the ultra-religious people. But on this day, on this Sabbath day, they were not at the synagogue to worship. Instead, they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. They also see the man with a hand, but it's not compassion they feel. The disabled man is simply a pawn in their scheming. Jesus is teaching, and they are watching. Their ears are not focused on what Jesus was teaching. They are watching to see what Jesus would do regarding this man with a withered hand. They know that Jesus has a power to heal. By now, his fame has spread throughout the region, And everywhere, people will bring all who are sick and demon-possessed. So Pastor Rob mentioned last week's sermon that the Pharisees were passionate on protecting their religion. So they developed all kinds of rules beyond what the Bible says. And their intent was to make things practical so they can know what they can and cannot do to obey the Mosaic law. And regarding the Sabbath, Moses had prohibited work on the Sabbath to benefit us so that we can rest and worship God. But the Pharisees created additional rules. In fact, 39 additional things that were strictly forbidden on the Sabbath. So for example, it was wrong to kindle a fire for cooking. It was wrong to gather wood for fuel. Or to, or to transact business, or to provide medical service. Healing would be a form of work. So if Jesus heals this man, which they know He can do, they got him. And by their interpretation of the law, Jesus would be a clear lawbreaker. Healing was a form of work in their mind, so in their minds, not permissible. On Sabbath. The Pharisees permitted healing on the Sabbath only in the case of saving a life. So, for example, if someone were to deliver a baby, that was okay. But healing was normal, normal healing was not okay. It was illegal, it was a breaking their law. And this man's problem was not life and death issue. So in their mind, Jesus should wait. And if Jesus healed him today, they could accuse him of breaking the Sabbath. And according to Exodus chapter 31, verse 15, whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. It was an offense punishable by death. So the Pharisees were not at the synagogue to worship. They were there to trap Jesus, to catch him in the act of compassion, and then accuse him of breaking the law. They don't doubt that Jesus can heal, but will he really heal on the Sabbath and hence break their law? And you can feel the tension. They are watching Jesus. They are putting Jesus on trial here. This man putting God on trial. this man putting God to the test, and this was a trap. They had known Jesus to be compassionate. And if he heals, they got him. When you think about it, it would have been perfectly okay for Jesus to go on teaching and tell the disabled man to come back tomorrow so that he can heal his hand. That would have been a perfectly wonderful thing to do and and would have avoided any conflicts with the Pharisees. But look at what Jesus does. He calls on the man and tells him to come forward. So the scornful eyes uh, now fix on the man with a hand. The man was probably embarrassed, fearful, wondering what was going to happen. But he comes forward, perhaps because he knew that in the past, Jesus had the miraculous healing of many people in the town. But will Jesus heal him on the Sabbath? Can he trust this Jesus, this new rabbi, and face the anger of the Pharisees and rejection by the religious rulers? Throughout the Gospel, Jesus tends to these miracles very publicly. We see, for example, later in Mark chapter 5, he instantly heals a woman with a constant bleeding issue when she touches his garment. But then he calls her out, calls her out of the crowd. The woman then identifies herself with fear and trembling, and Jesus assures her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. He wanted her to understand that it wasn't the magic of his garment that made her well, but a faith in Jesus and the grace and healing power of the Son of God. And that's an application lesson for us as well. Believing and following Jesus is not some mystical, magical thing. It's identifying with Jesus, even when it's not a popular thing to do. So what about us? What about you? How are you seeing and responding to Jesus? Is it like the man with a withered hand who heard Jesus and trusted him, even with some fears and doubts? or like the Pharisees who stood at a distance to judge him. The eyes of the Pharisees are now fixed on this man standing in front of the synagogue. And they are thinking, he's not about to die. And so healing this man on the Sabbath will be violating the Sabbath rules and it would be deeply offensive to them. Everybody in the room knows that this is the issue. The disabled man knows that this is the issue. The rest of the congregation, the synagogue, knows that this is the issue. Jesus knows that this is the issue. So now we move on to scene three, the wrath of Jesus. Verse four, it says, and he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to harm, to save life or to kill? but they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. In the previous 4 stories, conflict that we revealed earlier, it was the Pharisees and the scribes who questioned Jesus. Why does he eat with the tax collectors and sinners? Why don't your disciples fast? But here in this scene, in this Mark chapter 3 passage, it's Jesus who does the asking. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good and to the harm to save life or to kill? He intentionally heads into the conflict because he knew what was in their heart. On one level, Jesus is asking them, don't you know that it is better? Don't you know that it is better for me to do good and heal this man even on the Sabbath day? By asking this question, Jesus is reminding them of the scripture that they should know in Proverbs. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow, and I'll give it, when you, have it in, when you have it with you. So he's not asking the Pharisees for permission to do the healing. He's authoritative declaring through the scripture. You should know the scriptures. It is better to show compassion, especially on the Sabbath day. But there's another layer of meaning that Jesus is speaking in both parts of his question. To do good or to harm, to save life or to kill. Jesus is actually exposing the heart of the Pharisees. He's asking, isn't it better for you to desire to do good than try to do harm by setting a trap and accusing me, trying to kill me? Jesus is addressing their hearts and asking them, shouldn't you be desiring to do good and to save life? Jesus came to teach, to heal, to save life. They came to accuse and to kill. The Pharisees had no interest in the life of this poor man. Their only interest was to figure out how to get rid of Jesus how to charge him with law breaking and blasphemy. They want to get rid of this Jesus who seems to be teaching something drastically different than what they've been teaching, and yet gathering enormous following. They felt threatened of their power and authority. Jesus was dangerous. The Pharisees could not answer. They were silent. How could they? They knew the right answer, but if they say, of course, it is better to do good, they would be guilty of lack of compassion. If they say, no, it is not lawful, they knew that despite their traditional rules, the scripture was against them. So they would be guilty. So they remained silent. Their silence was far louder than in words they could have spoken that day. And Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Jesus gets angry. He shows his emotions. The original Greek word, or gay, is very clear in the intensity of emotion. It means wrath, anger, the expression of strong displeasure and hostility. Jesus was not missing words. He was an emotion of profound anger in the context of what these Pharisees were, what they were doing and what they were thinking. By the way, this is the only time in the New Testament that this word is explicitly used of Jesus to describe his emotion. Was he angry at other times? Yes, many of you probably will recall the incident when Jesus cleared the temple at the beginning of his ministry and also towards the end of his ministry on earth. But this marked passage is the only time it actually says Jesus was angry, using the word anger. So why was he so angry? It was anger and grief mixed together at their hardness of heart. The idea is that the heart has become callous. And you know how one develops callousness on our hands or feet when there is repeated friction against the flesh. The repeated rubbing causes the skin to develop a hard protective layer. So for these Pharisees, the repeated rejections of the grace and compassion of Jesus have developed callousness on their heart. The previous revelations that we see in Mark chapter 1 and 2, they should have shown and demonstrated to them that Messiah was here, the one that they had been hoping for. They were in the presence of the very God that they claimed to be following, they claimed to be speaking about, but they were blinded by their own traditions and rules. So instead of understanding what the scripture has said about the Messiah, They repeatedly rejected him. Jesus showed and taught that the kingdom of God had come, and instead of welcoming this king, they felt threatened and resisted and wanted to hold on to their own power, to their own rules. They had decided what their God looks like, and was not the God of the Bible, but God of their own rules. The more they heard, and the more they seen the actual Son of God at work, the more they resisted. As Pastor Rob preached in a sermon a couple of weeks ago about fasting at the old wineskins, their desire for authority and traditions was not compatible with the grace and power of Jesus. So their hearts had become harder and harder. And this is what Jesus was grieved about. Jesus loved them and wanted them to receive the new kingdom of God, but they would have none of it. This repeated rejection of God's grace is what causes Jesus to be grieved and angry. It's a righteous, holy anger over the sin of repeated rejection of God's goodness and grace. And this is a warning for us today as well. Pastor and author Sinclair Ferguson warns warns us if Christ will not sub to my heart and transform my heart and fill my heart with joy, then the friction of that message of grace that I resist produces in me a heart callousness. Jesus was giving them the ultimate heart test by displaying again and again the grace and power of the gospel. And they were saying again and again, we don't want it, we don't need it. The Pharisees had separated the laws of God from the gracious character and good purpose of God, and this made Jesus angry. The laws of God were to show the goodness of God and his love over his people but they made the laws into something that would burden people and rather keep them away from the very God who came to give them life. So Jesus was angry. But that word probably still makes us a bit uncomfortable. We are much more comfortable with Jesus who is compassionate, loving, sacrificial, Many of us have read the book Gentle and Lowly, and it resonated with us because it is definitely true that Jesus' heart is first and foremost gentle and lowly. So when we hear that Jesus got angry, it makes a bit uncomfortable. And I think that's because for us, when we get angry, it's usually quite different than how Jesus got angry. With us as fallen men, Anger comes from the desire to retaliate, to punish those by whom you feel unjustly treated. Hence, for us, anger springs from self-love, self-protection, and often leads to an irrational reaction. Our anger often is a result of our sin and then leads to more sin. And we see this about human anger, even in this text. As we'll see in verse 6, the Pharisees angrily leave the synagogue because they want to protect their position and authority. Their sinful anger leads them to conspire to kill Jesus. On the contrary, for Christ, his anger sprang from the love of God and love of his people. He never sinned. He came into this world as a fully human, so he experienced a full spectrum of human emotions. You may recall other instances when Jesus is described as experiencing intense emotions. So, for example, deep sadness at the Lazarus' tomb when Jesus wept, or sorrowful distress in Gethsemane as he faced the cross or as we mentioned already, his angry rebuke in driving out the merchants and the money changers at the temple. But he was perfectly human, and at the same time, perfectly God. So he never sinned in response to his emotions. He had become totally like us to save us, and yet without sin. Throughout the Gospels, You'll note that Jesus actually does not get angry at other sinners, at the tax collectors or at prostitutes, or even when his own disciple, Peter, betrayed him. Jesus reached out to the out and out sinners with arms open wide. He came to save sinners, welcome sinners who are open to the gospel. He's a friend of sinners but the religious hypocrites who knew the truth, but the rejected truth again and again, Jesus showed little patience. Jesus gets angry at the hardness of their heart. Hardness of their heart that leads people away from the true God. Jesus' anger was also a necessary expression of his love for the suffering man. The Pharisees did not show any compassion towards the man with a withered hand. In fact, you cannot separate the perfect love from perfect anger. Jesus was a perfect man, so his anger was perfect. And we can see a glimpse of this even in ourselves as we are made in the image of God. So when we see injustice, When we see injustice being done to the weak, we get angry. When we hear of a young child being abused by an adult, we get angry. We ought to get angry. It would be wrong, unloving, uncaring if those situations didn't make us angry at the ugliness of sin and injustice. Perfect love and perfect anger go together. So Jesus' anger is actually good for us. If Jesus did not ang- get angry at sin and injustice, he would not be a good God. Author David Paulus, and late author David Paulus in his book, Good and Angry, he says, you can't understand God's love if you don't understand his anger. Because he loves He's angry at anything that harms those he loves. Jesus didn't stay angry. He was driven by the compassion for the man with the withered hand. So Jesus said, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. With all eyes now fixed on this man and Jesus, Jesus tells the man to stretch out his hand. There was a tension in the room. The congregation wondering what would happen. But the man trusts in what Jesus can do and in the power of his words, and he stretched it out, and the hand was restored. Jesus healed the man. The congregation is stunned both at the wonder of the miracle and at the fear of what the Pharisees are going to do. Jesus spoke to the man with simple commands, stretch out your hand, and the man trusted, obeyed, and received the healing. Sadly, the same grace caused the heart of the the Pharisees to be even more hardened. Their heart was set on wanting to destroy Jesus. Pastor Stephen Lawson says, It is impossible to have an encounter with the living God and be unchanged. The same sun that melts the snow hardens the clay. That is so true. So now we move on to scene four, the wicked plan. Verse six, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. And in the parallel Luke passage, it says, they were filled with fury and discussed with one another how they might, what they might do to Jesus. The people should have been celebrating and praising God for this miraculous healing. The man who could not use his hand could not work. Now his hand was restored. A mark does not record any celebration. Any move for celebration may have been muted, because the Pharisees were not furious and stormed out of the building. They were filled with mad anger. They hated this Jesus who attacked their self-righteous spiritual pride. Their anger was very unlike the anger of Jesus. And they hold a business meeting with the Herodians to scheme how to destroy Jesus. What's ironic is that they were actually breaking their Sabbath rule because they were now working. They were having a business meeting with the Herodians. Now, Herodians and the Pharisees were the most unlikely alliance. We don't know a lot about the Herodians, but the historical documents seem to indicate that there were a group of non-religious political Jews who supported the rule of Herod Antipas and his dynasty. Herod Antipas was the one who had arrested John the Baptist and had him beheaded. They were also supporters of Roman rule since the Romans kept them in power. So the Pharisees did not like them at all. And yet, the Herodians now joined the Pharisees in opposition to Jesus, probably because they feared he might be an unsettling political influence which then would cause them to lose power and favor with the government. These two groups had nothing in common. The two groups were basically enemies, no common ground, except that each saw Jesus as a threat. They both wanted status quo, but Jesus was transforming everything. And remember that we are only Mark 3, this event takes place early in the three-year ministry of Jesus on earth. But the enemies are gathering. The resolve to kill Jesus is already gaining strength. So what is our response? We saw two very different responses to Jesus in today's passage. First, a man with a withered hand obeyed simply and trusted Jesus to heal him despite inviting the wrath of the Pharisees. There's no dialogue recorded about what he he may have said to Jesus, only that he's listened to Jesus and obeyed when Jesus called him to come forward and then stretch out his hand. His simple obedience resulting in his hand being restored. He can get his job back. We can picture him showing off his healed hand with joy and excitement and with thanksgiving. Jesus is compassionate to the humble who recognize that they need help, that they need a Savior. Then we see the second response in the Pharisees. Their heart was hardened, callous, and they would not see the goodness of Jesus' compassion and his power they refuse to see that Jesus is the God that they have been waiting for. Instead, they see that it's either them or Jesus. Either they'll keep their power or they'll lose their power and authority to Jesus. So they choose to reject Jesus. Dear friends, as we listen to As we look at this passage, who would you be? What what is your response? Would you welcome this Son of God and simply trust Him? I want to especially speak to the youth group students. There are a number of you here. Some of you have been coming to church ever since you were born. And yet some of you keep resisting, keep doubting whether Jesus is on your side. The attractions of the world, the friendship with the world, the friendship with Instagram or TikTok, they may seem much better than friendship with Jesus. But friends, do not keep turning away from the grace of Jesus. Hebrews urges us Hebrews 3:15. today if you hear his voice do not harden your heart today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts and perhaps some of you are thinking it's too late my heart is too calloused it's too late I'm like the Pharisees in the story and I don't care your brothers and sisters, as you look at this very challenging thought of Jesus being angry, let us run to his grace. No matter how hard we have been, how many times we may have rejected Jesus, if you turn to him, God tells us in Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put in within you, and that I will remove a heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Yes, God is angry at sin. But the anger that our sin deserves fell on Jesus. The anger that our sin deserves fell on Jesus. So now let's turn to our God who is slow to anger abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Let Jesus, who is gentle and lowly, soften your heart. Let's turn to him. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for these scenes in Mark's gospel account. We thank you that you are human like us, yet without sin. We thank you that you love us and you hate sin, and came to the earth to abolish sin and death once for all. And as you show your anger, we pray that when we are resisting you and you frown upon our lives, help us to have the sufficient sensitivity to turn to you. And we cry to you to continue to speak to us. We pray that we may not drift and eventually become deaf. Dear God, God, What of our past has been, however we may have sinned and failed. We pray that we may be like those. We may be like those whom Jesus healed. Those who simply obey. We pray in his name. Amen.